This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello, I'm Gretchen Rubin, and you're listening to a bonus episode of our podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. My sister Elizabeth and I started this podcast more than four years ago, and in that time, we've seen that people really want to talk about the four tendencies framework. That's the personality profile that I created that divides people into four tendencies. More than two million people have taken my free four tendencies quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com to find out if they're an upholder, questioner, obliger, or rebel. If you want a quick intro to this framework, this bonus episode is for you. I have a video course that explores the four tendencies, and this bonus episode is pulled directly from that course. I give an overview of the framework, plus I've included an excerpt from an interview with Tiffany Dufu, author of Drop the Ball, Achieve More by Doing Less, about how she harnesses the strength of her tendency, obliger. I also talk about the connection between happiness and your tendency, and I answer some common questions about the framework. If after you listen to this excerpt, you're interested in learning more about the course, visit 4tcourse.com join to learn more. I'm giving a special discount to my podcast listeners. Get 25% off with the promo code HAPPIER. Visit 4tcourse.com join. That's the number four, not the word four, the number four, the letter T, course.com join. Use promo code HAPPIER to get 25% off. You can go through the course in five weeks in a manageable amount of time each day, or you can go at your own pace, faster or slower than five weeks. You'll learn in-depth information about all four tendencies and learn how to harness your tendency to reduce conflict in relationships, start or stop a habit, and get yourself to do the things you want to do. The Four Tendencies video course includes 17 interviews with people who have used their understanding of the Four Tendencies framework to harness their strengths and manage their weaknesses. If you have questions about the course, visit courses.gretchenrubin.com to submit a question. 
If you've already taken the course but know people who would be interested in taking advantage of this discount, please share this episode with them so they can get a sense of it. I got my first insight into the framework that became the Four Tendencies framework in a very inconspicuous moment of my life. I was having lunch with a friend, and my, as my sister Elizabeth calls me, I am a little bit of a happiness bully. So I was quizzing my friend about her happiness and her habits. And she said something that got set my mind on fire. She said to me, well, the weird thing about me is I know I would be happier, happier if I exercise regularly. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's the same person, it's the same behavior. At one time it was effortless, now she can't do it. What's the explanation? And I became determined to solve the puzzle of how people sometimes could or couldn't make important changes in their life. But I couldn't really understand what was going on in this pattern and in other patterns that I saw, like all the people who objected to New Year's resolutions because they thought that January 1st was an arbitrary date. I couldn't figure it out until I was looking at my to-do list one day. I was sitting at my desk and all of a sudden I realized that the key was the idea of expectations, that this was at the heart of all these patterns that I had noticed. And what I realized was that we all face two kinds of expectations. Outer expectations, expectations that others place on us, like a work deadline or a request from a friend, and inner expectations, the expectations that we place on ourselves, like keeping a New Year's resolution or getting back into playing guitar. Depending on a person's response to expectations, we will fall into one of four distinct types. Upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders respond readily to both outer and inner expectations. They want to know what others expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Next, questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They'll only meet an expectation if it's justified. So in a sense, they make everything an inner expectation because if it meets the inner standard, they'll do it. If it fails their inner standard, they will object. They tend to dislike anything arbitrary, inefficient, irrational. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And this explains the mystery of my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no trouble showing up for, for track practice. But when she was trying to go running on her own, she struggled. Then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Once I identified the Four Tendencies framework, I decided to conduct a nationally representative sample study in order to learn more about the Four Tendencies and how many of each tendency is in the world. And what I found is that 41% of people are obligers. For both men and women, obliger is the largest tendency. Behind obliger at 24%, questioners. Then the smallest tendency, it's a very conspicuous tendency, but it is the smallest tendency, is the rebel tendency at 17%. And my tendency, the upholder tendency, is only slightly larger at 19%. So are the tendencies a product of nature or not nurture? I believe that the four tendencies are hardwired. They're a part of our personality. This is something that we bring into the world. It's not a function of our generation or our birth order or what country we're born into or how we're raised. It's just a part of our personality. 
Now, I also believe that the four tendencies doesn't necessarily correspond with other personality frameworks. I love personality frameworks. I love reading them. Um, but I think that each personality framework has its own nuance, its own vocabulary, its own powerful insight into human nature. And I think that you lose some of that nuance if you try to say that this equals that. I will say, however, one framework that it definitely does not correspond to is the houses of Hogwarts. People often argue to me that they figured out which tendency goes with, with, with which house of Hogwarts, but I say to you three words, Hermione, Fred, and George. They are all clearly Gryffindor. They are all clearly not of the same tendency. One thing to keep in mind about the four tendencies is this defines a very, very narrow slice of your personality. Now, some personality frameworks try to paint a picture of sort of the whole person. This does not. We could line 50 questioners up in a row. And depending on how ambitious they were, how considerate of other people's feelings they were, how analytical they were, how curious they were, how extroverted or introverted they were, how adventurous they were, million different things, these questioners would all look very different from each other. But if you asked or told that per those people to do something, they would all respond exactly the same way. They would all say, why should I? That is what makes a questioner, is that when an expectation is placed on them, their question is, why should I? Other things can be very different. That is what makes people of the same tendency. So why are the four tendencies important? Why do we even need to study them? Why do we care about identifying them? There are two reasons. First, we're much better able to understand ourselves. When we're feeling some kind of frustration, some kind of conflict, some kind of procrastination, we can be much more effective in figuring out what should we do differently? How can we tackle this problem? So our stress goes down, our burnout goes down, our sense of frustration with ourselves and our limitations goes down because we see a lot of possibilities about how we can change things for the better. We can figure out how to tweak situations to boost our chances of success. And just as we're better able to understand ourselves, we're also better able to understand other people. When we understand other people's tendencies, we're more tolerant and more compassionate of them. Because as an upholder, for instance, I now know that some things come pretty easily to me that don't come very easily to other people. And now I understand it's not that I'm right and they're wrong or they're right and I'm wrong. It's just that we have different ways of approaching things. And when we understand the tendencies, we, we don't take it personally. We can see like, well, you're behaving this way. You're asking me question after question after question. I'm feeling drained. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like you're questioning my authority. But wait, hold on. You're a questioner. You're not doing this just to me. This is the way you are with everybody in your life. I don't have to be angry at it. I just have to figure out how do we create a situation where both of us can thrive. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 
Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. So what's the connection between happiness and understanding your tendency? I've spent years studying happiness, good habits, and human nature, and it has become obvious to me that there's no magic one-size-fits-all solution for building a happier, healthier, more productive, more creative life. The happiest people aren't from a particular tendency. They're the people who understand themselves and build a life that works for them. With wisdom, experience, and self-knowledge from the four tendencies, we can use our time more productively, make better decisions, suffer less stress and burnout, get healthier, and engage more effectively with other people. If we don't understand our place in the four tendencies, we may fail to pinpoint the aspects of a particular situation that's causing us to succeed or fail. For instance, I often talk to obligers who think that they just need to get more motivated, so they try to whip themselves into a frenzy of conviction when what they really need is accountability. If you're an obliger who keeps thinking, I love to read, I really need to make reading more of a priority in my life, don't worry about making reading a priority in your life. Join a book group, or tell your child that you're gonna read all the books assigned that year in your child's English class. The accountability is what's gonna allow you to follow through. The Four Tendencies framework is meant to help us understand ourselves more deeply, not limit our sense of identity or possibility. Some people say, when you define yourself, you confine yourself. However, I think that systems of self-definition are really helpful because they give us a vocabulary, they serve as a starting point for self-knowledge, and they give us a way to talk to each other in a clear, succinct way. This framework isn't a set of labels that determines everything about us, and it's not a justification to say, well, what do you expect? This is just the way I am. Rather, it's a spotlight that can illuminate hidden aspects of our nature. Remember, there's no one best tendency. Every tendency has great strengths and also weaknesses. Every tendency includes people who are wildly successful and also big, big losers. Everyone does fit into a single core tendency. You're not really a true mix of two tendencies, but you can tip in one direction or another. For example, an obliger may tip to an upholder or an obliger may tip to rebel. Now that you know a little bit about the four tendencies, you may have some questions. And these are the questions that I most often ask. 
And it's important to get clear on these questions, to understand these key principles about the four tendencies, because when people have a misunderstanding of their tendency, they often want to jump to conclusions that might be misleading. And then that makes it more difficult to use the tendencies effectively. So you really want to get it clear in your mind. The first question I'm often asked is, is it possible to observe someone else's tendency from the outside? Really, to judge someone's tendency, you have to understand the way someone thinks. Now, sometimes you might know someone really well, like a spouse or a sibling or a very close friend, or you may have read many, many interviews of a well-known person, and you may be able to understand the way that person thinks. They may have said enough that reveals their thought process. But don't always assume that you can tell from the way that people behave. And don't assume that the tendencies always look the same way from person to person. For instance, one obliger could say things like, oh, you know, I really need to learn more self-care. I need to learn to take time for myself. I need to make myself a priority. That's an obliger. Another obliger might say, I'm a workaholic. I give everything to my clients. I'm there 110%. There's no time for me to exercise. They're both obligers. They sound very different from each other, but they're both expressing obliger tendency. Another common question is, is there a way that I can determine someone else's tendency if I want to figure it out? Now, as I said, to judge someone's tendency, you have to understand the way the person thinks. However, there are certain tells, certain patterns that tend to very strongly suggest that someone belongs to a particular tendency. For instance, questioners tend to object often and vociferously to things that are arbitrary. This really bugs questioners. Rebels, by contrast, often talk about spontaneity and freedom. That comes up in conversation a lot with them. For instance, you can ask how someone feels about New Year's resolutions as a way to quickly identify their tendency. Upholders often will say that they make and keep New Year's resolutions a lot. They tend to like them. Questioners typically say something like, I make a resolution when it makes sense to me. I would not wait for January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. Obligers will often say that they've given up making New Year's resolutions because they've tried and failed so often in the past. And rebels will either say that they love making a resolution because they love to challenge themselves, or they'll say they would never make a re resolution because they would never want to chain themselves in advance. So another question is, can you identify a child's tendency? Now, for some children, it's very apparent very early, at like age three or four, what their tendency is. But for many children, it's very hard to tell what their tendency is because children aren't autonomous the way adults are. It's hard to tell until they're out on their own. But by adulthood, we all do fit within one particular tendency that shapes our perceptions and behaviors in fundamental ways. Another common question is, can we change our tendency? The fact is, can we change our inborn nature? Probably not, or if we were to try to change our inborn nature, it would be very, very difficult. And overwhelmingly, unless we go through some catastrophic character reshaping experience, something like a near-death experience, a grave illness, a serious bout with addiction, a medication that fundamentally alters the way our nature is expressed, our tendencies don't change. We, we are who we are. Now, of course, depending on history and circumstance, our tendency might be more or less helpful as we make our way in the world, and our history and circumstance might shape the way we express our tendency. For example, someone in North Korea who's a questioner, well, those questions might get him thrown in jail, while in Silicon Valley, a questioner's question might win her a promotion. Sometimes people wish they belonged to a different tendency, and they want to change. The fact is, it's very difficult, if it's even possible, 
to change our inborn nature. But it's fairly easy to change our circumstances. So if an obliger wishes he acted more like an upholder, the answer isn't to try to change the tendency from obliger to upholder, but rather to create the structures of outer accountability that will allow that obliger to meet inner expectations. Just like an upholder, change circumstances, not yourself. A related question, are the tendencies a product of nature or nurture? I really believe our tendencies are hardwired. They're not the result of parenting style, birth order, religious upbringing, gender, generation, country of origin. They're not tied to extroversion or introversion. They don't change whether we're at home, at work, with friends, and they don't change as we age. These are tendencies that we bring into the world with us. Now, people often ask whether you can be a mix of tendencies. And people often argue that they are a mix of tendencies. They'll tell me, well, I'm an obliger mixed with an upholder, or my tendency changes depending on where I am or who I'm with. In my observation, not really. People do fall within a core tendency. So if a person says they're a mix of an obliger and upholder, think about it. That means they're an obliger. Nevertheless, people often do tip in the direction of a tendency that overlaps with their own tendency. So for instance, I'm an upholder, and upholders tip, can tip to questioner. They overlap with questioner in, in that both upholders and questioners readily respond to inner expectations. Upholders also can tip to obliger because obligers and upholders both readily meet outer expectations. I'm still located firmly within a core tendency, but the way that I tip is gonna shape the way that my tendency is expressed. A questioner who tips to rebel is gonna be a very different person from a questioner who tips to upholder. Both are questioners, but the overlapping tendency will shape that core tendency and the way that it's expressed. And of course, it's also true that no matter what our fundamental tendency, a small part of each of us is upholder is questioner, is obliger, is rebel. All of us meet an expectation when we don't want to, rather than bear the consequences of ignoring it. All of us may question why we should have to meet an expectation or become annoyed by inefficiency or refuse to do something that seems arbitrary. And we'll all meet expectations because they're important to someone else, even if it means the sacrifice of our own aims. And whatever our tendency, we share a desire for autonomy. Now, people often say to me, well, which tendency is the happiest tendency? Which is the healthiest? Who's the most productive? Who's the most creative? And here's the thing. There is no one best tendency. When you look to see who's the happiest, the healthiest, the most productive, and the most creative, it's the people who have figured out how to harness the strength and power of the upside of their tendency, and also how to account for the limitations and weaknesses of their tendency by figuring out how to exploit their tendency to their benefit um, and how to offset the limitations, they are able to take the steps to create the life they want. But we have to do that in the way that's right for us. People often assume that the people of a certain tendency look a lot like each other. They're very much alike. And that you can make a lot of assumptions, like all rebels are creative, all obligers are people pleasers, all upholders are type A, all questioners are scientists or journalists. But no, the four tendencies describe just a very narrow aspect of a person's nature. It's important, but it's limited. And there's an enormous range of personalities, even among people who share the same tendency. Regardless of tendency, some people are more or less thoughtful of other people's feelings. 
or they're more or less ambitious or intellectual, analytical, controlling, charismatic, kind, anxious, energetic, or adventurous. These qualities dramatically influence how they express their tendencies. An ambitious rebel who wants to be a well-respected business leader and a helpful family member will behave very differently from a rebel who doesn't care very much about having a successful career or other people's convenience. Remember, the difference among the tendencies is why people act or why they don't act. It's how they respond to expectations. It's not love of research that makes you a questioner. People are questioners if, if someone asks or tells them to do something, their first thought is, why should I? Similarly, a delight in doing things for other people doesn't make you an obliger. Refusing to follow the rules doesn't make you a rebel. It's how and why you respond to expectations. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm -hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. Gretch, I love eating sandwiches like a grilled cheese or a peanut butter sandwich is my ideal lunch, but I'm very aware of my carb intake, so oftentimes I avoid sandwiches. Luckily, Hero Bread has remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no-net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus it has protein and fiber. I have been using it to make grilled cheeses, and I use their tortillas to make a cheese quesadilla, and I am in heaven. Hero Bread tastes great, has a terrific texture, and helps you meet your nutrition goals. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use happier at checkout. That's happier at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I'm talking to Tiffany Dufu, who is the author of the super acclaimed and much discussed book, Drop the Ball, which offers the promise of achieve more by doing less, which I think is one of the all-time greatest subtitles, um, and also the chief leadership officer at Levo. Um, and Tiffany, we're here today to talk about um, the idea of getting stuff done, meeting your aims for yourself using the four tendencies. And so um, give us the big reveal. What is your tendency? Well, mine, I think you told me. Yeah, <laughs> um, as, some, as somebody who um, is a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> um, is someone who, you know, is 
pretty much a people <laughs> a people pleaser, though I don't know why it pains me to say that, um, and really wanting to um, you know get affirmed by other people. So I'm not sure. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Well, and it's interesting because when I read your book, Drop the Ball, I was like, this is a book by an obliger for obligers because it really <laughs> is about managing the obliger issues. And this really matters because obliger is the largest tendency for both men and women. It's the one that the largest number of people fit into. Um, and so you either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. So I think all of us, I think we all benefit from understanding all four tendencies of holders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. But I think there's like a special need to understand obligers just because they're, they're all around us. They're the rock of the world. They're, 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 they're throughout our lives. And so we want to all really understand the strengths, the weaknesses, the conflicts, the frustrations that can come up when a person is an obliger. Now, it seems like one of the things that you talk a lot about in your book is this need to kind of draw boundaries and to figure out what to drop and what to let go of. And this was something that you found super duper challenging. You were just used to doing everything all the time for everyone at an extremely high level. And then at a certain point, it was just like, you couldn't keep that ball in the air anymore. That's right. And I think the challenge is that, you know, obligers assign values to that kind of behavior that we think are great values. So we mm -hmm. assign things like excellence. You know, we want to do really well at things. We assign things like commitment. We're committed to tasks and we're committed to people, things yeah. like loyalty. And so you kind of get yourself in this mode where you really feel like in order for you to be a good anything, you assign yeah. all of these values to doing all of these things for other people. And it gets you into trouble because it turns out that our perceptions about what it means to be a good anything and what it means to oblige actually often come from other sources, not just ourselves. So we might have watched someone when we were growing up. I certainly used to watch my mom when I was growing up. And it felt like she did everything for everybody right. else. Um, but we don't stop to consider things like she didn't work outside the home. Right. She didn't have a cell phone. She right. didn't have email. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, you're bringing up something that I think is a subtle point that I haven't talked about that much, but I've been thinking about lately. And because you're talking about, well, the values that become associated. So the, the fundamental pattern that makes an obliger is someone who readily meets outer accountability, but struggles to meet inner accountability. And you're absolutely right. One of the things that often happens is that this takes on other meanings like I meet other people's priorities but not my own or I'll let down myself that I would never let down others and so that's kind of a judgment I think at the heart of it the obliger is just this pattern that's very straightforward but it gets all these other meanings put on it and one of the consequences that I see from this and I'd be curious to know what you think is that sometimes then people do things and obliger is like shocked and appalled by something that someone else does or fails to do, which to another tendency seems fine. For instance, I'm obsessed with the signs in office kitchens. I like the minute I go to an office, I run to the kitchen and try to look at all the kind of signs that people have posted up there. And it seems to me that a lot of times you see signs which I'm like, that's an obliger sign. And an obliger is like, if you can't be a citizen of humanity and wash out your own dish, then you are some kind of thoughtless, soulless barbarian. Yes. Whereas a questioner is like, it's not efficient for me to go through my day doing this way. And a polder might be like, well, I have my job, you have your job. Like somebody, it's like somebody's job to load the dishwasher. That is not my job. A rebel's like, I don't feel like it. I'll do it if I feel like it. You know, they have their own way of coming to it. But to an obliger, it's like, it seems deeply, um, 
like not even more than more than inconsiderate, but like really powerfully wrong, um, because they have built this uh, these values into the pattern of being an obliger, and 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 so then of course you're exactly right. It's so much worse than when you can't meet an expectation because you feel like you're you're failing in in a very kind of deeply a way that goes very deep to your like your soul. Yeah, and you're making a really great point because it's that inability to sometimes do what you need to do for yourself that causes, quite frankly, Mm self-loathing and self-judgment. And And so often when you're writing the sign that says your mother does not, you know, work here. That is the sign. (laughs) You got it. That is the quintessence. It's so funny that you say that. (laughs) That says that because that's the sign, you know, (laughs) I would write. Really, it's about I, I'm not being the kind of mother that my mother was, and therefore mm-hmm. I'm feeling some sense of inadequacy, and therefore I'm going to judge other people because mm-hmm. I am not managing. While I'm managing to put on this front that I'm taking care of everybody else and everything on the outside, on the inside, I'm not necessarily living up to what I feel I should be as an obliger for myself. Right. And so therefore I'm going to turn that outward and I'm going to blame other people, and I'm certainly going to find fault with other people when they don't adhere to what I think that we should be doing. Well, one of the things, I'm always very interested in how obligers can manage to find ways to create the outer accountability that they need to meet inner expectations. And um, one of the things that's very um, noticeable about you is that you have achieved a lot early at a very, very high level. And so whatever the limitations or weaknesses of being an obliger, you've figured out how to manage that, which is, um, which is what I think everyone's hope is, is that with time and experience and wisdom, they would figure out how to kind of hack themselves. And so like one of the things, um, is this something that resonates with you? This idea like it, to say yes to you, I have to say no to someone else. And so I need to say no to you in order to say yes to someone else. That seemed to be one of the themes of your book. Is that something that strikes a chord with you? I think so. I would frame it a little bit differently in that I need to say no to you in order to say yes to some higher purpose that I have. Mm, So so you tie it to an ideal. Exactly. Because it used to be that to say yes to this other person, well, there was always another person that mm-hmm. I felt obliged to say yes to. So all that meant was that I was continuing to ju- juggle multiple <laughs> yeses and nos and I was feeling pulled. Yeah. So I felt that I needed to create some third filter <laughs> that would help me to decide that I need to say yes to this because otherwise I'll overcompensate on the yes. And then that's what I use as an opportunity to say no, to decline. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm saying yes to this person, it's that my highest and best use is raising conscious global citizens and my kids don't care whether or not, you know, I make lasagna for, you know, the, you know, for the dinner. (laughs) And so therefore I'm going to say no, because that's not in alignment with what I'm really trying to achieve here at the end of the day. So that is, so just to emphasize, like, I think what the brilliance of that is, is in order to get out of the constant, like weighing of this person versus that person, my colleagues versus my family, you, you always take into account, what is my real purpose? That and that is the thing that will then lead you down the path, which is That's like it. whatever it is. That's it. That's it. Because I want to help everyone. I want to be there for everyone. Yes. I really do. Yes. But I tried that and it didn't work. And I will say you are an obliger has very, very high standards. Not all obligers have the kind of standards that you have. You're a person of 
on kind of on the side of your obligerness, you also are, ha are very ambitious for yourself in terms of uh, success and effectiveness in the world and also just in terms of general standards. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The challenge, of course, as anyone who's ever supported or been a part of diversity initiatives in the workplace is that when you're so focused on needing to do it yourself and wanting to do it yourself, what you don't leave any space for is innovation or creativity. It turns out that when we allow other people to do things, we learn that things can be done differently, that things can be done better. And so you end up just kind of reinventing this wheel of obligation and mm -hmm. also um, just a real sense of stress and burnout because mm -hmm. you are not allowing other people to really not just chip in, but sometimes you stunt their growth. And mm. I'll give you a, a perfect example. I was thanking my husband at the end of last year because he was managing our home a lot while I was traveling, promoting drop the ball. And I specifically thanked him for missing sleep because whenever he travels for work, in order to get the kids ready and to get myself and all of us out the door, I get up an hour earlier. Makes perfect sense to me. He's like, well, I don't really you know, lose any sleep when you're away. He says, thank you so much, but I'm still getting the same amount of sleep. So I asked him, well, how are you right. getting the same amount of sleep when I'm gone? And I said, how do you manage the morning? He says, well, I get up at the same time that I always do. He said that I, on my way into the bathroom, stop by the kid's room, and I just make a proclamation, which is, I'm setting the timer in the kitchen for 45 minutes, and in 45 minutes, I need you up, dressed with food in your stomach, your hair brushed, your teeth brushed, your homework in your backpack, your coat on, your shoes on, ready to go, because your mom is not here, and I do not have time to get you guys ready. And my first response was, our kids can do that. <laughs> yeah. And he said, yeah. yes. And I thought, wow, I wonder how long they've been fully capable of getting themselves ready in the morning. Like, yeah. when did that happen developmentally that I totally missed it because I was so consumed with yeah. getting everything ready on schedule in the morning and missing out on sleep whenever he traveled? Now, as an obliger, do you feel like when you're working with other people, are there ways that you think about how um, they're alike, they're like you and how you would manage that or how they might be different from you, different tendencies and how and how you might uh, communicate with them differently or maybe like why the questioner desire to have their questions answered and answered and answered and answered can feel burdensome or the rebels desire to just do what they want to do. It doesn't matter what the agenda is might get under your skin? Like, do you see it coming up with teams? Well, I always assume that that is probably what's happening when I feel a sense of discomfort. Mm. Right? So, you know, whenever I'm in the meeting and I'm thinking this meeting is so inefficient, we are not coming to any conclusion or, you know, whenever I'm, I'm beginning to feel frustrated or is mm -hmm. it, am I the only person who can't see this? <laughs> I really... I really check myself and I say, Tiffany, what is happening here? You know, mm -hmm. as an obliger, as a person who needs to have these, that is causing you to respond to this circumstance, to this situation, to this person in this way. 
And is there something that you can learn about yourself? And is there something you could potentially learn about the other person? So I, to be honest with you, am often so frustrated in those moments or so to, that I, I can't even get myself to the logic of figuring out what that person might be mm -hmm, <laughs> and right. how we might in be. In the moment. It's just, Tiffany, just stop and breathe and recognize that you have a certain way that you prefer things be done and that you need to loosen up maybe. Yeah. Listen, Tiffany, thank you so much. It's so much fun to talk to you. Um, you've thought so deeply about how to manage the pros and the cons of, of a lot of the, uh, the things that go along with being an obliger. I thought your book was fantastic in terms of like, you have a whole vocabulary that you use that's really imaginative and fun and, and memorable um, and a lot of strategies for how like really high achieving obligers can harness the tremendous strengths of that tendency, um, but figure out ways to limit the kind of negatives that can hold you back or weigh you down or make you feel overwhelmed and drained. And so, um, so it's so much fun to get to talk to you again. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Gretchen. I hope you enjoyed this excerpt from my Four Tendencies video course. Remember, visit 4tcourse.com join and use promo code HAPPIER to get 25% off. That's the number four, not the word four, and the letter T, 4tcourse.com join and use promo code HAPPIER to get 25% off. If you purchase the course now, you get lifetime access to all course and bonus materials. You can go back and rewatch lessons or catch up if you got behind. You can watch archived Ask Me Anything calls all about the four tendencies and get access to regularly added new interviews with people like you who have used their understanding of the four tendencies to make their lives better. I hope you enjoyed this excerpt from my four tendencies video course. Remember, visit 4tcourse.com join and use promo code HAPPIER to get 25% off. I'm Gretchen Rubin, and I hope this makes your life happier. From the Onward Project. Gretch, I know from my own experience that baby making is not always simple. There is a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And when you want to conceive, there can be a lack of understanding and resources. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from reproductive health to uh, ovulation tracking to conception aid. Frida is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. Frida products are innovative, easy to use, and accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. This is baby-making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, at Target, and select CVS stores near you. That's Frida Fertility, F-R-I-D-A, Frida Fertility.